Well, good morning. And as you can see, God is still doing amazing things through our partners and through Safe Families for Children. And it's just such an honor for us to partner with them. I think they, that that ministry embodies so much of what we're called to as followers of Jesus. Jesus said, let the little, little children come, for, for the kingdom belongs to them. And, and he calls us to model hospitality and inviting people in and caring for the least among us. And, and Safe Families is such a beautiful, they do such a beautiful job of doing that. So we're just honored to partner with them. And as you heard, there are many ways to get involved. And so if you are interested in getting involved, I would encourage you to just uh, shoot an email to help at eaglechurch.com. And we can kind of help you connect with what the right fit for you is. But there are everything from resourcing through financial gifts or gift cards or bus passes or things like that, all the way to, to being a host family. Uh, there, there's a whole of ways you can be involved. And so I would encourage you to consider is maybe there are a role for you to play in that. Also, Thursday morning. At 7 a.m., we're going to have just a prayer time. So we've been doing these following like our missions features on Sunday. So Thursday morning, we're going to do a prayer meeting on Zoom. So 7 a.m., start the day that way. It's been super encouraging when we've done it. We'll pray with some of the staff and then folks from Eagle who are involved directly. And then those, uh, the rest of us can jump on and pray with them. It's a great way to hear about the ministry, to pray, um, and just kind of have our hearts aligned with what God's doing there. Again, email help at eaglechurch.com if you're interested in being part of that, and we can send out the Zoom link that way. And finally, I just want to close in prayer. So uh, one of our desires is to, to elevate uh, and, and make this ministry visible, but we also just want to pray because we believe that's where the Lord really works. And so would you just join me in praying for safe families? Lord, thank you for this incredible ministry that you've brought us into relationship with. And uh, thank you for the way that it models um, the gospel, that you're a God who welcomes us into your family, that goes out of your way to seek us. And Lord, I pray for, for Lana and for the other staff at Safe Families that you'd give them wisdom, that you continue to guide their steps as they try to navigate these um, unusual times that we're in. Pray for the host families and the people that are supporting them, that you just give them strength and endurance, that you give them compassion, that you protect their families. Lord, that you would use them to reflect you to these uh, families that are hurting right now. I do pray also for resources to come in, Lord. Everything in the world is yours. And so we just pray that you would uh, bless this ministry with resources to be able to, to carry on the ministry they're doing and, and to even do more things like the men's mentoring program that they're working on or some of the other initiatives, Lord. Lord, that you would work and guide and give wisdom and provide for them. And Lord, we just pray that through this ministry that your love, that your hope, that your truth, that your peace, Lord, that would be uh, proclaimed through this ministry, that people would encounter it and that people would come to know you, Lord. Jesus, thank you for your love that you would pursue us. Lord, may we reflect that and imitate that in how we live. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Hurting it. 
you to continue your worship through tithes and offerings. If by chance this is maybe your first time uh, signing on with us, feel no obligation to give. But then again, also if you know Jesus and you want to be a part of at least what is happening through Eagle Church for Kingdom Building, then by all means feel welcome to do so. Uh, the instructions are on the screen. You can give online at eaglechurch.com give, or you can do text to give to that phone number. Um, but our hope and prayer is that uh, these gifts that really belong to the Lord anyways would be used mildly for for his kingdom work. So Jesus, we ask that whether someone gives in this moment right now, maybe they already gave earlier this week or they'll give tomorrow, but Lord, we ask that you would do what only you can do um, through our resources, through the things that you are already owning and are in charge of. But Lord, we ask that you would go before us with the things that we lay before your feet, that you would do more than we could ask or imagine. So we pray this in the name of Jesus, whom we love. Amen. There is a name who reigns without contention whose power can't be questioned or contained. With humble faith, he rules the earth and heavens. His glory knows no measure or refrain. And it's bursting past the borderlines of space. Jesus, Throned upon the praises of our hearts Jesus, you're the king and you're the center of it all There is a name Reaching past the margins Calling sons and daughters back to him And as he says We can hear the roar of heaven His prodigals are coming home again And the triumph of his name will never end Jesus 
fashioned or contained with humble fame. He rules the earth and heavens, his glory knows no measure or refrain. And it's bursting past the borderlines of space. Dear Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you're a God of peace. And it is our prayer that every eye will see and know you. And so, Lord, as Justin delivers your word to us today, I just pray um, that it is clear and obvious to us um, what you need to work on in our hearts, uh, what, what needs to change moving forward um, so we can be more like you. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Justin. I'm the worship and missions pastor here at Eagle. And it's been such a strange experience doing this church thing without all of you here. And uh, I keep seeing hashtags that are things like, like together apart and stuff like that. And it's just not a thing. That's not a real thing. It's going to be so good to see you guys again soon. But the Simpson family's in Florida enjoying the beach this week, and so I'm stepping in today and I'm honored uh, to do so. Well, the past uh, four or five months or so have been, they've been kind of challenging for me on a personal level. I know that a lot of people are really, really struggling in, in some much more profound ways, so I don't want to minimize that. But for me personally, internally, it's been challenging. I had plans uh, to grow a ton spiritually, to read a bunch of books, to get in better shape, to have meaningful time with my family, to write new music, to get my lawn looking better than it ever has. But most of that didn't happen, at least to the degree that I'd hoped. And I remember a few weeks in, I just kind of ran into a wall. I was struggling, frustrated at how unproductive I felt while working from home. I was irritable with my family all the time. Wasn't sure if I was making a difference. See, I'm the type of person that, that I've got like intentions a mile long. And uh, I tend to bite off more than I can chew. And that's kind of what happened again this time. And with all my self-imposed expectations weighing on me like a ton of bricks, I kind of sunk into a little bit of a pit. Most days, I went to bed feeling like I'd failed that day. And I'd wake up not sure where to start the next day and, and just kind of like rinse and repeat. And one day while hanging out in my little pit of despair, Jana, my wife, she wisely says, who put all these expectations on you in the first place? It's got to be miserable feeling like you do. Is anybody saying that you've let them down? Is anybody saying that you're not being productive? And I guess the answers were, I'm the one that put the expectations on myself. And, and nobody's complaining about my productivity and I'm getting stuff done that needs to be done. But the problem is that I was leaning into my own effort to change things internally that I'd wanted to see change for a while. I had my own ideas of what that would look like. And I never really stopped to ask Jesus, what might you be wanting to change in me? And how do you want to do that? And I was frustrated because I, I wanted to change, but I felt like I wasn't. So I ran into this wall over and over. And it was a really fun spring in my soul. So... 
If you've been tuning in the past couple of weeks, you'll know that we started this series called Change and and God's doing something really significant in the world. Just look around. It's easy to see. And I think that he's trying to get our attention. We've been asking God if if maybe there are some ways that we've lived or believed, ways uh, before all of this started that maybe he's wanting to change. Maybe like, where was our trust? Where's our trust been? We're obviously not in control. Or how do we love others? Or are there attitudes in our hearts that don't reflect the diversity of the kingdom of God? And the question that I want to grapple with today is, what do you do if you don't see the change that you want to see? How do we change? And so before we jump in, I just want to pray and ask the Lord to speak in this time. Would you pray with me? Lord, while we were singing one of those songs, uh, there was a lyric that was something about um, you sent the darkness running out of an empty grave, seated alone in glory, enthroned on the highest praise. I just have a thought that I think there are some people who are stuck maybe in a similar pit of despair or hopelessness. Um, And Lord, maybe this morning is a morning where uh, hope can be spoken to them. I just pray against that spirit of despair. This morning for people who are stuck and feel like they can't change or they're not seeing the progress they want to see or whatever that may be, whatever's behind that, Lord, I just pray that you breathe life into that. And then, Father, for these words that you've given me to share this morning, I just pray that you'd speak. If I have anything that's my thought, would you remove it, God? And would you speak today? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in the book of Galatians, Paul wrote to a group of Jewish followers of Jesus in Galatia. He wrote to confront these followers of Jesus who were requiring new Gentile or non-Jewish followers of Jesus to practice elements of the old law. It was a practice that said that Gentiles, that the Gentiles, that, that they had to follow Jesus, but then they also had to do certain things to be holy from this Hebrew law. And when you live buried by rules and regulations, it actually just turns into religion not relationship, and it can be suffocating. And it's, kind of, it's in that context that Paul writes the words that we're going to be spending our time in today. So Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Well, our youngest daughter, Liza, she has enough ratty, like Linus-looking blankets to fill up a warehouse. And she, she always wants to sleep with as many of them as she can possibly find. And they smell like, they smell like curdled milk and drool. And kind of look like they've been used to mop up a public restroom or something. And that's after they've been washed. But we used to live in a little house that struggled to maintain temperature. So like in the summer on a hot night, it'd just be so hot. In the winter, it'd be so cold. And last summer, it was a hot summer night. And um, 
per usual, Liza's, you know, it's bedtime. She takes all of her flea-infested bundle of blankets to bed. And before long, she's crying that she can't go to sleep. So I go in, and she's got all 47 blankets piled on top of her, and she's soaking in sweat. So I said, honey, you can't sleep with all your blankets. It's too hot tonight. And she said, well, Dad, I, I can't sleep without my blankets. And I said, well, honey, the blankets are the very thing keeping you from sleeping. And she said, but I like my blankets. And I think we can a lot of times be like Liza in our spiritual lives as well. In order for Liza to sleep, she was going to have to shed some blankets, right? And, and so that we can live for God, which this text says is the goal, we're going to have to shed some things. We're going to have to die to some things that Jesus already died for so that we can experience change. And we're often unwilling to remove these blankets of sin and, and put to death the very things in the world that are suffocating us. And a lot of times it's actually because, like Liza, there are things that maybe we like or that are comfortable. In our context, it, it may be idols of safety or comfort or privilege or affluence or success. These are all comfortable but are they things that are potentially sucking the life of Christ out of us and distracting us from seeking God and his kingdom? Change is hard, and I wonder if the reason that we don't experience the change that we want to is because we're just unwilling to die. And the truth is that change requires death. And this morning, I want to speak about a few ways that the Lord has invited me to die in recent months and perhaps is inviting you to die as well in order to experience that change. And this text gives us a couple really clear places to start. So look again at verse 19. It says, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. So the first way that we need to change is by dying to our own Self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is the idea that we can, in our own efforts and in our wisdom, be righteous or be made right with God. What self-righteousness turns into is simply behavior modification. It's religion. It's cleaning up what, what you see on the outside without addressing what's going on on the inside. And Paul was calling this group to die to the law because he understood that we don't have the ability to effectively live for God. These old laws that were being imposed on these believers were blankets that needed to be shed in light of Jesus' grace. They were expectations from man and not from God. And I do think self-righteousness can be a little hard to identify, but I'd, I'd go so far as to say that it's something that all of us deal with at some level. And over the past couple months, the Lord's been showing me like indicators or symptoms of self-righteousness flaring up that, that I hope will be helpful. So first, I call it hypercriticism. I feel like I can criticize like just about anything, especially as it pertains to like church life and ministry or social and political issues. I have this kind of critical spirit that I've seen come up where I feel like I know the best thing to do, but in actuality, it's a symptom of self-righteousness. Or the second sin that the Lord's been revealing to me is, is called defensiveness or the sin of self-defense. And this shows up when anything confronts my abilities, my behavior, my views or perspectives on the world. I go looking for any kind of justification to sort of dismantle whatever arguments come against me. 
Because remember, my way is right, right? Wrong. It's a symptom of self-righteousness. And I really believe this self-righteousness is one of the most harmful things for followers of Jesus to embody, especially when we're interacting with people who aren't like us, who think differently, who have different life experiences. When we become self-righteousness, we aren't kind, we're not inviting, we're not compassionate, we're not selfless. We become judgmental, unwilling to learn from others. We become exclusive and prideful and bitter. It's the opposite of what I believe Jesus was like. And as followers of Jesus, we have to do everything we can to root out this sin of self-righteousness. But it requires that something must die. Look at verse 20 again. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. We'll stop there. This is a statement about identity shift. If we want to see real change first, we have to die to our false identities. Christ living in us requires that we have died to our sinful selves and received Christ's life for our own. See, when Jana and I started dating back in the glory days of 2005, I was 18, and I was rocking this like quasi-hippie thing with like nasty sideburns and hemp jewelry and working at Starbucks. And I was barely passing my classes and I was listening to like Fish and Grateful Dead and Bob Marley, which I still listen to them. Those guys are great. But the whole bit, my first thought about paying bills came like when the pink slip arrived in the mail or my phone stopped working. I didn't have money. I spent it on like CDs and milkshakes and donut sticks out of the vending machines on campus. But listen, if I hadn't realized the amazing woman in front of me and kept bumming along through life, I would have missed out on all the blessings of being married to Jana. And in order to take on a new life with her, something had to die in me, like hemp jewelry. But the point is that we have to die to this false identity called the sinful nature that we've been born with and that permeates every aspect and every affection of our life and hearts. When we live out of this sinful nature, we live with identities that are too small. Things that were never meant to identify us or things that were never meant to, to build a life on. Things that have a shelf life. Things that leave us constantly searching for validation and for more. And maybe you identify most with your success or your career, or you identify with your country, or your political alignment, or your family, or your education, or, or the fact that you're an athlete, or, or an artist, or your group of friends, or fill in the blank, whatever it is. What if this pandemic that put many of these things on hold is a God-orchestrated or opportunity to evaluate and dismantle things that are too small for your life, and then to come and rebuild a foundation that is focused on and prioritizing the kingdom of God. What if? But here's the hard part. Is it takes humility to die. It takes humility to change and to allow God to speak into this. But it's the humble who see God. 
I came across a quote this week from, from an old bro named Thomas Kelly. He's a 19th century Quaker missionary and educator. And he said this about Christians living in like an overly busy and distracted world. And this is over 100 years ago. But try to track with me. It's kind of written in old English style. So try to track with me. But it's a great quote. It says, What trinkets we have sought after in life. The pursuit of what petty trifles have wasted our years as we've ministered to the enhancement of our own little selves. And what needless anguishes we have suffered because our little selves were defeated. We're not flattered, we're not cozened or petted, but the blinding God blots out the self and gives humility and true self, true selfhood as wholly full of him. Are there trinkets and petty pursuits that you and I have been seeking after that simply benefit our little selves and nothing more? Has there been anguish and suffering because we find that it's just not enough? It's not satisfying. It's too small. We need the blinding God. I love that description. The blinding God whose glory is so bright that it washes out everything else. That it blots out anything that we've built our life on apart from him. We need him to humble us and to fill us with himself. And why does it matter? Well, like Kelly said, it's not so that we can like flatter ourselves and make our little selves feel better and more secure. That's like living a life like my cat. We have a cat that lives to, to be pet, to eat, and to sleep. That's her priority, right? No, it's not that. Like we sang earlier, the reason is because the world needs Jesus. That's why. And for the kingdom of God to invade every corner, Jesus' primary method is to mobilize a bunch of people who act and think and love and serve and look like Jesus. But first, something has to die. The last line of verse 20 says this, I live by faith, in the Son of God, this line here, who loved me and gave himself for me. October 20, 2008. It's one of the best days of my life. It's the day that I became a dad. It's the day that Bram was born. And uh, it, the most vivid memory I have of that day, and really it's the most vivid memory of, I have with Bram, Lucy, or Liza, because I forget the following months, right? But it was... The first night he was born, all the family and friends who came to visit, they'd left. The nurses were out. The room had that dim glow of a hospital room at nighttime. And Jana was sleeping. And Bram and I were hanging out in the little blue uh, glider chair in the corner of the room. For you parents, I, I know that you can visualize that moment. Go back there with me. And I was holding him with his, his tiny little fingers clutching my finger I was singing over him. I was praying for him, praying for his life, for his future, his health, that he would love and follow Jesus, that he would be kind and compassionate to others. And as I was praying, uh, the words from John 3.16 came to mind. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And that sounds a lot like verse 20. He loved me and gave himself for me. 
And I began weeping because I told God, like, there's no way that I'm going to give up my son for anybody. I mean, if, if, it, if a million people would be saved, but I'd have to give up my son, I wouldn't do it. I just wouldn't. And on the flip side, like, if I had to try to fight a million people to save my son, I'd do that. But I wouldn't give him up. And in that moment, the significance of God's love, it hit my heart, maybe for the first time with so much clarity, that he was willing to send his son. He was willing to watch his son walk into the courtroom innocently, receive the guilty charge, be sentenced to death, and then led away by the executioner so that every sinful person, you and me and all people, could receive life. And one of my favorite hymns is called How Deep the Father's Love. You maybe know it. But there's a line in there talking about Jesus hanging on the cross. And it says, it was my sin that held him there. And it's a powerful line. But, but I want to suggest that I had no power to hold Jesus on the cross. I think, I think the line should say something like, it was, my, it was his love that held him there. It was his love, his unquenchable love for you and for me and for all people, his children made in his image, that he sings over with gladness, that he willingly died for so that we could experience life and freedom. And for change to happen, something has to die. And that something or that someone was Jesus. Change is possible because Jesus died. And if we're serious about following Jesus, we have to constantly, every day, every moment, die to ourselves. To die to our self-righteousness. To die to false identities that we've agreed with and built our lives around. We must be crucified with Christ so that Christ can live in us. And these ideas of dying to ourself and Christ living in us, they're little strains, right? They're a little nebulous, hard to get your hands on. But I think the secret is found in, in uh, four words in verse 20. This phrase, the life I now live in the body, here are the words, I live by faith in the Son of God. How do I live by faith? Well, 2 Peter 1 tells us that through our knowledge of Jesus, we have everything we need to participate in the divine nature. That is, we have everything we need to experience Christ in us. That's the divine nature. And where do we most clearly have knowledge of God? It's right here. It's in his word. We've been given everything we need. And obedience to Jesus' word, I believe, is the primary first step for how we live by faith. It's how we begin to die to ourselves by by simply imitating Jesus' life consistently. I believe that we will begin to see breakthrough and change in ourselves and in the world around us that we've been longing to see. So have you been frustrated by the lack of change or growth that you see in your life? Do you want to experience Jesus in a new way to see him move in the world? This morning, the invitation is to come and to die and receive Christ's life in you. To close, I want to invite you into a challenge. 
You can even call it, a, call it an experiment this week. Here's the challenge. It's 10 minutes in the morning, and it's 10 minutes at night. In the morning, I want you to go to the gospel. So it's like, I don't know, my Bible, it's three quarters of the way through. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first books in the New Testament. And th those books record Jesus' life for us. So I want you to go there, find a small excerpt where Jesus is teaching or he's interacting with people. And if you need help knowing where to start, in the note sheet, I, landed, I, I threw some references at the bottom, uh, a few from each of the Gospels that maybe you could use to start there. But I want you to start with this small section of Scripture, read through that section, and I want you to just ask a couple of questions and pray. So question one, do my actions and beliefs reflect Jesus' life and teachings in these Scriptures? Okay, so for an example, one of the references on there is Matthew 5 and some change. I don't remember what verses, but it's the section where it's, uh, Jesus is talking about loving your enemies. So it says, you've heard that it said love uh, your neighbors, but I say love your enemies, love those who persecute, it's all that type of stuff. So you read that, do my actions and beliefs reflect Jesus' life? And then ask the second question. In light of that, my response to that, what should I focus on today? So maybe there's a person that you work with, or a family member, or a neighbor, or something. There's a person that you know, for whatever reason, you avoid them, or you have conflict with, or whatever. Ask the Lord, what should I do in light of that today? And then just pray this simple prayer. Jesus, help me imitate you today. Okay, so that's the morning. And then the evening, 10 minutes. And just reflect on a couple of questions. So first question, how did I do today? How did I do today? It could be great. It could be bad. Be in the middle. Second question, where did I see God? So maybe in interacting with this person, uh, maybe they responded warmly and there was some progress in that relationship. Where did you see God? Or maybe it was challenging. What came up in your heart? You can write about that. Or reflect on that. Where did you see God? And then just close in a simple prayer. Jesus, thank you for your mercy and grace. Help me be more like you. And that, that little challenge is in the note sheet. So I would encourage you to screenshot that or, or print it off and, and slap it somewhere. But I want to challenge you, try to do like five out of seven days this week. 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes at night. And, and you can use the same scripture all week or you can use a different one, however way you want to approach it. But I want to invite you into this and just see what God will do. And then I was thinking about, I think there are probably a handful of folks tuning in who either have been around the church for a long time, but have never uh, stepped into interacting with Scripture in this way. I want to really challenge you to try it for the first time. And then many of you maybe who wouldn't say you're a follower of Jesus even, or you've never read the Bible. I want to invite you to try it. Just see what happens. It doesn't have to be complicated. Following Jesus isn't complicated. It's hard, but it's not complicated. And I believe, I really believe that if you will step into this way of interacting with Jesus and his words, that transformation will begin to happen in your life and around you. So would you join me in this this week in seeking to be obedient followers of Jesus, dying to ourselves so that we can experience the life of Christ in us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your love, your love that's unmatched by any love that this world has seen.
that while we were still sinners, you died. You set the example of what it looks like to die. You didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took on the form of a servant. Lord, help us to to follow in that way, to humble ourselves before you and to let you be Lord. And I was thinking about maybe people who have never taken that step this morning. Lord, would you draw them to yourself? there be repentance, a turning, and a seeking you that happens today. Jesus, thank you for your word that gives us everything that we need. You've given us your word. You've given us your spirit, your presence. Help us to live by faith, trusting that you've got more than we could ever imagine in this life. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.